Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. I would like to pause for just a quick moment here to give a special thank you to DBV Technologies for sponsoring today's podcast. The return of school has arrived. For parents and caregivers of children with food allergies, this is a time to establish school accommodations to help keep children safe while at school. We'll explore tried and true methods from a parent and caregiver perspective. Joining us today is FACS Vice President of Education, Kristen Osborne. Kristen will share her trademark playlist and a few other school home run ideas. Welcome, Kristen. It is always a joy to host you on the show as FACS Vice President of Education and as well as a parent of children with food allergies and other conditions. We really appreciate your insight on the show and your guidance and especially today's topic of back to school. Thank you, Caroline. It's always a pleasure to join you and discuss important topics with you on the Fact Roundtable podcast. Well, I think we have fun, but I also think it's also going to be just highly informative because, you know, we're talking about really important things. Exactly. Before we get deep into our topic, can you just bring our listeners up to speed on your experience as a parent and as an advocate for people with food allergies and those with disabilities? Well, my experience as an advocate for people with food allergies and disabilities spans over two decades. My husband and three sons have various life-threatening food allergies, asthma, environmental allergies, and other conditions that cause me to advocate on their behalf and behalf of hundreds of other families across the country. As a trained disability advocate, I've worked with both the food allergy and disability communities to legislate new laws that provide access, education, funding, and accommodations. And I've presented to and trained a host of organizations from national food allergy nonprofits, special education boards, and school districts. Isn't it fascinating how you start your family and you have this vision of how it's going to turn out? And of course, it turns out totally different. But that how all of a sudden, when you have a child with a chronic condition, it just changes everything. All of a sudden, your voice becomes bigger. And this advocating just comes out of nowhere that some of us never even knew we had. I certainly never knew I could advocate. And then boom, there we are. It definitely does present its challenges is one of those things because as a child, I wanted to be a lawyer. I thought being a lawyer meant I would argue and I enjoyed kind of heated discussions. But my advocacy work now is really, truly what my heart wanted in sixth grade was to reach out and help people who didn't know how to receive the help and and, uh, education that they needed. I love how the world takes us in these different ways. 
So now let's just start with the basics. What are food allergy accommodations? And then why do parents and caregivers need to get these established? And also, if you don't mind focusing a little bit too on the impact that the accommodations have in a classroom, especially if a listener is a classroom parent, because I know we have a lot of volunteers at school and you know, after school activities and sports and, and so forth. And so how do accommodations impact those areas as well. Accommodations for students with food allergies impact a wealth or a great variety of things in school. And students with food allergies are at risk for anaphylaxis, which we know is a severe allergic reaction. And when you hear the phrase food allergy accommodations, many people mean accommodations a student with food allergies has on their 504 plan or their IEP in school. And you've had our fantastic general counsel and vice president of civil rights advocacy, Amelia Smith, on the podcast numerous times. And in the recent Fact Roundtable episode 76, Amelia explains that food allergies may be regarded as a disability under the federal disability laws and regulations. Now, they were designed to allow students with food allergies to safely participate in education, the school environment, extracurricular activities with access to their equal access to their non-food allergic peers. Now, given that brief short background on food allergies and the risk of an allergic reaction at school, it's essential that parents understand the importance of having their child evaluated for accommodations. Parents have often expressed to me the fear of sending their child to school because they're afraid that their child will have a reaction and no one will know what to do. And I know for myself, I hold my breath the first couple of days of school in case the school calls due to an emergency. And this may not be the case for everyone. However, my sons have experienced several food allergic reactions at school and were rushed to the emergency room. So emotions can run high for both parents and children. And as for the impact of accommodations in the classroom, the impact is crucial. I'll give you an example. Let's say your child's in second grade and has a milk and sesame food allergy. You send the child to school with epinephrine and an allergy management plan because you know it's important to send that allergy management plan because it details from their allergist what needs to happen when your child has an allergic reaction. An accommodation plan is similar in that, that it details how to keep your child safe and provides modifications to help in the classroom. Now, knowing there is a blueprint and guideline that helps your child in school can provide peace of mind for yourself and for your child to know that everyone in school is going to make sure they do the best they can to keep them safe. I know for me, one of my favorite life examples of this was when my son's teacher wanted to use eggs for a STEM activity in class. And the class was just supposed to take the eggs and measure them, view them, observe them. And my son is extremely allergic to eggs. The intention was for him to watch while the rest of the class participated in the activity and my son would kind of watch from the sidelines. My son's 504 plan listed that several accommodations there, which first off was one, Any allergen that he's allergic to would not be used in any kind of classroom activities or any uh, teaching activities. So that's part of the plan. But it was scary for him because he thought everyone in the class is going to get this on their hands and they're going to touch everything. And I was terrified as a parent because I thought, wait a minute, 
I thought we had this plan, it was in place, and everyone understood what was going to happen. And that kind of fear is sometimes present when you go into an accommodation meeting. You know, that is a really good point. When you just said fear, I can distinctly remember preparing and walking into meetings just terrified. And then that's not a good way to go in the door. You know, you really don't want to walk in the door terrified. You want to walk in concerned. But I do recall walking in just terrified. And then once I got there and we started working together, it dawned on me, oh, wait a minute, we're working together. But I think that fear brings up a really good point that I'm uncomfortable, I'm concerned. What are your thoughts on that? Exactly. Fear is one of these emotions that can be paralyzing. And when we're paralyzed, we don't always make the best judgment or the best decisions. And we go into it with thinking that the worst is going to happen. But a lot of times in an accommodation meeting, you want to go into the meeting with the idea or thought that we're all here to work together and that we can work together. And if by chance it doesn't work out, we can continue to try to fix this. I mean, I always try to lean into the positive first and lean into the education of things and not lean into the fear of my child is going to have this horrific reaction and and something tragic might happen. Excellent point. So now, keeping on this topic of like these meetings and securing accommodations, that could just feel very overwhelming. Like I just mentioned before, I felt fear. I've personally felt overwhelmed myself. But once during a Facebook and Instagram Live you were doing, you mentioned your playlist, which I still just think is absolutely brilliant. Can you share with our listeners, what is your playlist? I come in with a an idea that any kind of situation can be navigated and tackled with a playlist. And the process of obtaining accommodations can be quite intimidating. And as a parent, you're seated across the table of the evaluation team, which could be four or five people you don't recognize. And they may be a school psychologist or a nurse or administrators, you have no idea who these people are. And they're there to help determine how to best accommodate your child. And sometimes given the optics, it may seem like you against them situation. And then several parents have communicated with me that they feel like they're going to war. I mean, personally, as a parent, I've envisioned wearing a my warrior gear to enter the gladiator circle, also known as a 504 meeting, but I kid, I kid. I can understand the feeling of helplessness and despair because you as a parent have seen your child have a food allergic reaction and you've witnessed your child break out in hives or they've had difficulty breathing and you know the potential of what could happen. And you know how important it is to, you know, administer medications, seek emergency medical care. And those feelings of helplessness often creep into the room with you when you sit across from the accommodations team. And as a parent, you're doing your best to communicate the seriousness of your child's allergic reactions. You are frightened to get a call from the school saying your child had a reaction and they're being taken to the emergency room. And you feel stressed because you believe maybe the team is not going to understand the needs of your child. But I'm here to tell you, my favorite tip 
is making a music playlist. And if you enjoy music, have a school meeting playlist to listen to before the meeting and on the way to the meeting. And it's anything that you enjoy to get you in the mental frame of mind to effectively communicate your child's needs in the meeting. Now, sometimes I'll vary, I'll vary my playlist, but typically it includes maybe something that's very eclectic and runs the gamut of emotions. I mean, we may start with Taylor Swift's Shake It Off, then a little Rage Against the Machine, and end with a little Sister Sledge, We Are Family. Because I'm thinking, okay, we're going to go in, shake off all the nervousness, and then I'm going to go in and I'm just, I'm going to fight. Not really, but literally, but we know, just give ourselves the courage that we need to kind of advocate for our children and then end on a positive note because we are family. I know the playlist that I mentioned might be eclectic, but you know, what can I say? Music, music has its way with me and it will with you. So my advice is to create a music playlist. You enjoy music. It could be anything from you know classical, if you enjoy a good Tchaikovsky, to any kind of jazz or Rock whatever your heart's desire, but make sure that it brings you joy and pumps you up and gives you the courage to go and and advocate for your child. I love this so much. So confession, when I was working on legislation in Nevada, I used to play Can't Hold Us by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. That's a good one. And still to this day, whenever I hear it, I just get like goosebumps. Like, you know what? This is it. Like, you can't hold back us food allergy parents. You know, when we're on a mission to get change, we're there. And, and it's hysterical, absolutely hysterical. Here I am years later, and I still get excited. But but I see the point. And also, too, I think it helps with the mood, too. It really puts you in this positive frame. And I like how you start off just shaking off everything, but then we end up with the solution. So I like how you even choose the music based on how we want to get to that outcome, too. Exactly, because the outcome is that we want to have an accommodation plan for our child that works for them, that's detailed and and really individualized for their needs. But we know that maybe sometimes people just don't always understand why it's needed. So you may have a little disagreement, but disagreements are just that we can work toward a commonality at the end that benefits the child. And it's always fun because my children have attended most of their 504 meetings. So they also give me suggestions on what they want to put in the playlist prior to us going to the meetings as well. So their input is always, (laughs) always priceless. I think one year we had Veggie Tales. Oh, that is so fun. And I love it how they're in on it. There are several resources on FACT's website, foodallergyawareness.org, that will help you determine the accommodations that are necessary for your child. I know on the section on the website, when you go to the website and you click on the civil rights advocacy, and then you toggle down to the 504 section, it list sample of accommodations and that has been worked on by our general counsel and our VP of civil rights advocacy, Amelia Smith. And it gives you a starting point as to what you can discuss when you're looking at those 
accommodations. Additionally, in the civil rights section, there are handouts for parents and then handouts for school systems to kind of understand the needs of a a child with food allergies. My suggestion is to go through the education side of our website and look through and get any posters or examples of 10 things that they, the school should know about food allergies and also go through the civil rights section and really put together kind of information that you can share with the team so that they have factual information. It's vetted by our medical board and you know that the information that you're providing is accurate and that's always very important. So with all these fabulous resources, and yes, I am absolutely biased, so let's get that out of the way. But with all these wonderful resources on the FACT website, which one is your favorite to use when you're educating people, like in a 504 meeting or a classroom teacher or another parent? (laughs) I immediately thought, well, I can't just choose one. What do you mean favorite? But I do, I I have some that I I frequent and kind of hand out often. First, I typically share the signs and symptoms poster for anaphylaxis, and it gives a description of how the body works and what signs may happen when someone's having an anaphylactic reaction. I also love to share the 10 facts about food allergies. And this is great for people who are unfamiliar with food allergies and don't necessarily know the statistics and the data behind everything, that's one of my favorites. And oftentimes I share the accommodations page where it gives parents a kind of jump start on what kind of accommodations to think about for their child and kind of curtail them to their individual needs. And listeners, just so you know, I will make sure all of these links are in the show notes. So Kristen will give me her, you know, top favorite list. And I don't know, maybe we can actually get her to share links to her playlist too. But I promise that we'll have all this information in the show notes for you. So now, Kristen, you just mentioned accommodations and sample accommodations. So let's talk about that a little more now. So how can a parent or a caregiver determine what types of accommodations are needed? So speaking personally, in the beginning, I think I wasn't realistic until the school nurse sat me down and explained how they did things. And then I realized I was actually asking for things that didn't really even exist. So maybe you can actually discuss this a little bit with us and then maybe even tell listeners how they can use the FACT website to find this kind of information. That happens sometimes. I think as parents, we go in thinking that we're going to get this large list of accommodations and it's going to protect our child and that they will come home safely every day. But sometimes not really understanding what it means to provide accommodations can be challenging. And there are numerous accommodations that may fit the needs of your child. And one point to understand is that, like I said, each of them, each accommodation, especially on a 504 plan, is tailored specifically for each child. Now, I mentioned earlier, FACT has a robust civil rights advocacy resource center with a section detailing 504 plans. And the section contains sample accommodations to use as a guide. And as a parent, being prepared as as possible is the key to having a successful meeting. Now, it was realistic for me as a parent to ask that my son's elementary and middle school classes were free from their allergens. My son had numerous reactions to his allergens, and we just knew, and his doctor stated that 
it was necessary to kind of remove the allergens from the classroom. So if there were class parties, we would have alternatives. I remember sometimes we had for an ice cream social, we didn't use dairy, we used maybe popsicles, or we had a safe vegan ice cream that was provided to the class. And we had popcorn bars where we would have popcorn and all kinds of different toppings that went on it. So we got really creative and making sure that kids were able to have fun or celebrate a special occasion, but also keep our son safe. And as he progressed to high school, he decided as a member of the 504 team that he was comfortable with allergens being present in the classroom. You know, if kids wanted to eat something and they weren't directly close to him, that was fine. As long as the allergen wasn't aerosolized, like maybe wheat flour in the air or roasting peanuts. Now, I know you might think, who in the world is roasting peanuts in the classroom? But I live in Virginia. Virginia is for lovers, and Virginia is also the peanut capital. So sometimes you just have to be a little specific about some things that you need. In case they're roasting peanuts, that might be something you don't want to have in the class. Now, my sons would enter the classroom and wipe down the table and the seat, and the school would provide the wipes and the disinfectants. And then they were able to use the restroom as needed to kind of wash their hands. Now, what you notice in that story is that Some accommodations were reasonable for my son in the elementary phase, and they made sense to keep them there. But as he got older and was able to vocally advocate for himself and vocally take a role, an active role in his advocacy in school, he became the person to kind of dictate what he felt was necessary and what wasn't. Well, your perspective has just been fantastic. So now staying with your perspective here, can you take our listeners through the steps that you use to begin and manage the accommodation process? I also know about you that you are a big fan of bringing along a friend. You've mentioned it before, I think on other podcasts. So can you also touch on that? Well, as a parent, the first step that I would suggest is just to take a deep breath. When you breathe, you just breathe out the frustration and the anxiety and the fear that may be creeping into your thoughts and your mind about how this meeting is going to go. You know that you have a diagnosis for your food allergic child and that these accommodations will help them and hopefully keep them safe in a school environment. Now, the journey to obtain these accommodations may be fairly easy. Or it may be a journey that has lots of twists and turns, but in the end, we know your child will get accommodated in the way that they need to. Now, you definitely want to make sure that you're able to put your accommodations requests for evaluation in writing. And as a parent, I've always done that through email, and I follow up with a phone call because for me, it didn't happen if it's not written. And even in my calendar, if it's not written in my calendar, I don't do it. Another choice that I've done is to sit with other people or bring a friend to a 504 meeting because you need that support. And again, I mentioned earlier, sometimes it feels like it's you against them or a scenario that doesn't feel welcoming. And it doesn't have to be that way, especially as a parent in a meeting. I remember one time my husband was with me during the meeting. And as an advocate, I was there advocating for our child and also as a parent. And he looked at me and said, man, this is hard 
it's a lot of emotional challenges that you have to navigate as a parent and as an advocate. And just being able to sit by your side and be able to kind of give input or just help you was helpful to me so that I know how to help you in the future. Now, that was very early on in our elementary journey with kids. And granted, advocacy is kind of what I do. So I was the lead on talking and having conversations. And obviously, my husband had input, but it can be emotionally charged, but it doesn't necessarily need to be that way all the time. So if you know that you need support, bring someone there. I've actually sat in virtually with 504 meetings and just been able to provide support. And I think any kind of support is helpful. And I also realized too, that sometimes bringing your child, even when they're first grade, second grade, uh, maybe that young, they can kind of talk. A lot of people behave better when their children around. So children can also be a very good advocate for themselves and helps keep the adults behaving. Very good point. You know, I've personally brought people with me just because I can get caught up in the moment and forget details. I'm like you, if it's not written down, it doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. So I've brought friends in before just to take notes and vice versa, where I've gone with others just to take notes, nothing else, just sitting in the corner, taking notes. Just by having that one additional person with you kind of takes the weight off of it just being you. And if it is just you, then you know you you have your Taylor Swift, you have your sister Sledge, you have the Rage Against the Machine, and they're all with you in the room too. I love that. That's hysterical. Oh my gosh. So now you and I both know that the best laid plans can get disrupted. So what suggestions do you have for parents and caregivers if they hit a roadblock, something unexpected happens, or maybe it's been going great all year, and then the 504 gets violated or the plan gets disrupted? What suggestions do you have for what we can do as a parent and caregiver when this happens? Well, the first thing is to expect the unexpected. Expect that everything is not going to go the way that you think it should go. And that it's just a lesson in, in life typically, but you want to expect the unexpected and know that you can kind of prepare for these things in advance. If you know there's a class party coming in October or there might be a class party happening in December, you contact the teacher, contact the school, contact the person responsible and ask, ask the questions ahead of time so that you aren't blindsided by a party where there are roasting peanuts with dairy ice cream and all kinds of other things that your child might be allergic to. But being proactive instead of reactive is really, really helpful. Another tip is to refer back to Amelia. She has the knowledge and the information to help you and email her, kind of write out what's going on. And she's the best tool that you can use to help you kind of navigate which direction you should take if you're finding any kind of friction or having difficulty in your child's school. And listeners, I'll make sure that I have Amelia's email in the show notes for you as well. But Kristen, believe it or not, our time together has come to an end. This has just been a fantastic conversation full of wonderful data. So before we sign off, is there anything else you want to make sure listeners hear from you? Know that, again, you're your child's best advocate. 
and being able to walk into a meeting and have the presence of mind to articulate what you need in a manner that is free from fear and frustration and trauma is best to utilize tools. And one of the tools I mentioned was listening to music. So if you need to bring Taylor with you in the room, bring her, but know that you're doing your best for your child. And we here at FACT are here to help you in the event that you need additional support. Wonderful words. Thank you so much, Kristen, and look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Caroline. Before we wrap up, I just want to give another thank you to DBV Technologies for their kind and generous support. Thank you for listening to FACTS Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.